In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may you be blessed as we start this holy week. Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church. I'm Pastor John White, and I'm serving with the Reverend Ruth Bell Olson. Together, we're your interim ministry team. Today, we're joined by Dr. Julia Brown, uh, our music director, our cantor, Bill Potts. Potts? Bill, how long have I known you and I messed up your name? <laughs> our cantor, Bill Potts, and my friend, Viola Barbara Corbato, you know, I should, Corbato, maybe I should just start this again, but we're live. (laughs) Barbara comes to us from the Grand Rapids Symphony. We're very glad to have her. Catherine and Martin Grant are joining us this morning as our family for Stations of the Cross want to remind you, it's a little chilly outside, but at noon we're having an Easter egg hunt for the kids. There will be treats and there will be hot coffee for the adults. This is going to be a busy week as we prepare for Good Friday. Uh, Tuesday from noon to 1, the sanctuary will be open for meditation and silent prayer. The same thing on Good Friday morning from 10 to 11. You can also come on Monday, Thursday from 5 to 6 and sit in the sanctuary and think about Jesus' uh, journey and his impending crucifixion. There will be a live stream service on Good Friday at noon. And then on Easter Sunday morning, we will have a Eucharistic celebration out on the lawn under a big tent where we will, we will share communion together and worship together. There will be a, the high music service at 10.30 streamed with all the members of our choir and the music that you know at Mayflower and that you love at our church. We're in the midst of a phased reopening right now. I was hoping that I would say we would be in church two weeks from today, but the rate in Kent County has doubled. There is a council meeting Tuesday night, so we'll be discussing it there. Many of us are reading the New Testament. A discussion each week uh, by Zoom, led by Ruth, and we're reading a modern translation of the Bible, which groups things together in a particular way so that everything flows logically and chronologically. If you would like to join us, we would welcome you. If you would like one of the Immersed Bibles, please come to the church and pick one up. And finally, during Lent, we are offering a virtual Lenten music and meditation experience called Art Song in the Atrium. Beautiful music, art, and devotional materials can be found on our website and the YouTube channel. And now, with more about today's music, here's our music director, Dr. Julia Brown. Today's story has so much drama that can be set to music in wonderful ways. So the contrasting emotions, the 
diversity of emotions lends them, uh, itself to uh, wonderful contrasts in musical settings. So we begin today, as you heard with the prelude, big hosanna, uh, big boisterous, joyful, but with a dark a dark cloud over our, our hosannas. Um, and you will see that dark cloud getting bigger and bigger and enveloping us at the end of the service, which then launches us into Holy Week. So our postlude today is not a big organ piece. It's actually an anthem written by John Ferguson that we've adapted for tenor, viola, and organ. Who is this? Uh, the, the text by Sylvia Dunstan asks, who is this over and over? Who is this who walks among us? And in dialogue with that is the viola playing um, the Passion Chorale. And uh, so that really is um, launching us into this coming week and the story that will be told. And I invite you to come back on Good Friday at 1030 to listen to our live stream service where we'll have XL and Christy here singing three movements from the beautiful 18th century work, the Stabat Mater by Pergolesi. But we're not there yet. We're still in the Hosanna and the joyful time of this story at the beginning of our service. And so we begin with uh, this wonderful hymn written by Vaughn Williams for tenor and viola, Lord, Come Away, a song written to a text by a 17th century bishop, a Palm Sunday text. Uh, it's got strong mystical uh, feel to it and very declamatory.
Hear these words from our opening prayer. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. As the people spread their coats, palm branches on the ground to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, so we welcome him into our lives this morning. King of glory, King of peace, servant king, reign in our hearts, reign in our lives this day and all days, that we may praise your holy name. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 19 through 20. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, 
triumphant and victorious as he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to all the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Listen for the word of the Lord. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on, the co- on a colt 
the foal of a donkey. Jesus went and did as his disciples, excuse me, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God and Lord of the universe. It is Palm Sunday, and this morning we are remembering that day so long ago when you made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the Feast of Freedom. This event marked the beginning of Holy Week, and we are embarking on our own journey through the Passion and Holy Week. Help us to journey well and to not miss what you have to show us about ourselves, about our church, about our world. May we feel your presence and your purpose, and may we be shaped by it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Travel plans. Remember those. Tickets, reservations, suitcases. For many of us, this last year has been marked by canceled plans, non-travel. For others, it's been white-knuckle trips with multiple precautions. COVID has radically changed our calendars, our habits, and frankly, how far we're willing to go from home. If we do choose to venture out, Our plans now involve sanitizing, mask wearing, empty middle seats on airplanes, strategizing where to get food, and analyzing the cleaning procedures for things like resorts, hotels, and Airbnbs. (laughs) It's a strange world we live in, isn't it? And here we are now entering Holy Week, and also, particularly for families with school-aged children, preparing for spring break. If you and your family have scheduled a trip next week, it can be assumed that loads of planning has ensued. To safely embark on a vacation these days, we certainly don't want to wing it. As we turn to our scripture passage this morning and settle ourselves into this Palm Sunday narrative, we can ask, did Jesus wing it on his way into Jerusalem Or did he make some pretty serious travel plans? Based on our passage this morning from the book of Matthew, it appears that Jesus did, in fact, have a plan. Jesus and the disciples are heading into Jerusalem for the Passover, also called the Feast of Freedom. And during this time, the city would swell with Jews from all over coming to offer their sacrifices in the temple and to celebrate the liberation of their people from the grip of Egyptian enslavement. In the time of Jesus, however, this celebration is bittersweet. Yes, the Jews are not living in bondage in Egypt as in the time of Moses, 
but they're living in a different kind of bondage in the Roman Empire. Pastor A.J. Levine writes, Tensions are running high, as are expectations of liberation, of freedom, of autonomy. As Jesus enters town on a donkey with the crowd crying out for him, the passion begins. Surely Jesus has entered Jerusalem numerous times before, so what is this special entry plan that Jesus has made? What is this strategy he maps out with the disciples on the Mount of Olives? Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you just say the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. Really? Just take the donkey and her baby donkey? Levine writes, imagine this in our context. A popular leader sends two members of his entourage from, eh, let's say, a respectable suburb, into the downtown area of a big city with these instructions. You will find a Lexus sedan, and next to it a sports car. Bring them to me. And if anyone asks, hey, what are you doing with those cars? Just say, the Lord needs them, and it'll be fine. Not likely. The next call will not be for spiritual redemption. It will be to 911 to report two stolen cars. This is kind of goofy, isn't it? But if you had a friend in that downtown area, you'd made a plan with this friend for those cars, it might make sense. So perhaps we can infer that Jesus had friends in the area and had prearranged the availability of the animals. Levine continues, Let's stop to consider the geographical symbolism that begins the Passion narrative. Jerusalem is a holy city, but it's also occupied by the Romans. When we enter into a place where we know we oppose the local leaders, what do we do? What do we say? How do we plan ahead? Jesus most likely planned this entry. The symbolism is no less significant, even if it had been carefully staged. If one is going to confront any system that prevents human wholeness, be it poverty, sickness, colonialism, a lack of compassion, it helps to have a plan. Okay, but why this plan? Why a donkey and some palm fronds? Jesus enters Jerusalem from the east, the back gate, in his planned procession. Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem reflected the messianic prophecy from Zechariah that we read this morning. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. Those watching this backdoor procession likely would have been familiar with Zechariah and this prophecy. So if Jesus is the king of Zechariah, this is a royal entrance. The rest of the Zechariah passage details what kind of king he will be, cutting off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. He shall command peace to the nations. This king, riding on a donkey, will banish war from the land. No more chariots, war horses, or bows commanding peace. He will be a king of peace. According to authors Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, what we often call the triumphal entry was actually an anti-imperial 
anti-triumphal one. Jesus rode the most unthreatening, most unmilitary mount imaginable, a female nursing donkey with her little colt trotting behind her. He would be the nonviolent king who would command peace to the nations. So the king is coming, and the crowd is shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the shouting, Hosanna, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Hosanna translates, save us, which begs the question, save us from what exactly? Jesus' planned entry was a symbol of salvation, of course, the return of God's king to God's people. But in this political situation with Rome, this is dangerous language. It's inflammatory. It's treason. The entire spectacle from riding a colt to spreading the cloaks like a first century red carpet to proclaiming Jesus as king, this is sedition. Jesus is king? What about Caesar? Is Jesus being political? Are the people essentially shouting, save us from Caesar? Is Jesus' procession actually a counter-procession? Is Jesus mocking the Romans? Is he creating a parody of the other procession happening across town? You see, another king came into Jerusalem for the Passover festivities. But he did not come in the east gate or the back door. Traditionally, Pontius Pilate paraded into Jerusalem on the first day of Passover week, entering the west gate, the front gate, with legions of chariots, horses, foot soldiers, dressed for battle and armed with swords and spears. Rome's authority would not be questioned. The majesty with which Pilate enters the front door of this city was meant to inspire awe and fear, respect and obedience. Pontius Pilate came to Jerusalem for Passover not to atone for his sins or to celebrate Israel's freedom from the bonds of Egyptian slavery, but he came as the appointed governor of Judea. His job was to keep the peace, especially during holy days and festivals, when emotions ran high and the oppressed citizens of Jerusalem were fired up. See, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in the beautiful seaside town of Caesarea by the sea, built by Herod the Great. Pilate's livelihood, and probably his life, depended on maintaining order in the empire. So he made the 60-mile journey to Jerusalem, accompanied by hundreds of Roman troops, to remind the Jews that they might be God's people, but Rome is still their master. Authors Borg and Crossan describe Pontius Pilate's imperial possession this way. A visual panoply of imperial power, cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, Golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold, the sounds of marching feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some odd, 
some resentful. According to Roman imperial belief, the emperor was not simply the ruler of Rome, he was the son of God. So for the empire's Jewish subjects, Pilate's procession was both a potent military threat and the embodiment of a rival theology. For Jews, this is armed heresy on horseback. So if Jesus made some serious travel plans, his parade was just as carefully staged as Pilate's entry into Jerusalem and was, in fact, a counter-procession, a different vision of what a kingdom should be, a subversive action against the powers that rule Jerusalem. Jesus' humble yet triumphal entry into Jerusalem stands as a stark contrast to the magnificence and brutality on display at the opposite end of the city. Jesus brings peace. Pilate brings a sword. Even the animals each man rode are imbued with symbolism. A donkey is an animal of peace, and a horse is an animal of war. We could attest that two different visions for life in the world are entering Jerusalem the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Caesar. Could this be the central conflict of Holy Week? Is this our conflict too? The kingdom of life versus the kingdom of power? Are we interested in being open, teachable, vulnerable, grateful, full of love and forgiveness, inspired by compassion and the quest for human dignity? Or are we fixated on being right, being strong, being defensive, self-sufficient, and having the final word. The word the NRSV translates as triumphant really means in Hebrew, righteous. The focus for Jesus is not on militaristic conquering, but on the power of justice. What do we make of this? We're reminded in the passage from Zechariah, the king does not lord it over others, but takes place with those who are suffering. Zechariah speaks of a king who is righteous rather than violent, a king who is strong in faith, not armed to the teeth. When we look at the two Jerusalem entrances, we see that Jesus deliberately countered what was happening on the other side of the city. Pilate's entry embodied the power, glory, and violence of the empire that ruled the world. But Jesus' procession embodied an alternative vision, this kingdom of God. We have no idea, and the gospel writers don't tell us, whether anyone in the crowd on that Palm Sunday understood what Jesus was doing. Did they see the juxtaposition? Did they catch the subversive nature of Jesus' donkey ride? Maybe not. The crowd was interested in the show, and they were thirsty for revolution the fall of Rome, and autonomy for their people. They wanted and expected something world-altering, an ending to the story worth their worship, their fervor, and their dusty cloaks on the road. But what they got instead was an anti-parade. As New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it, what they got was a mismatch between their outsized expectations and God's small answer. God is not looking to overthrow a temporary government. God is interested in establishing a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of radical and universal freedom. A kingdom dramatically unlike the oppressive and violent empire 
Jesus challenged on Palm Sunday. Jesus died for this, which poses some poignant questions for us. Jesus is about to give up his life, which requires determining what a life is worth. That means we all have to determine what our lives are worth. What's worth dying for? What's worth living for? During Lent, we all have the opportunity to think about our lives alongside the life of Jesus. This is an invitation for inward transformation and then outward action. We are called into the process of justice, of compassion, of peace, of a vision of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom as God wants it to be. A.J. Levine writes, The whole triumphal entry scene is one of anticipation, but it cannot be read alone. The parade into Jerusalem with all the hope and hype leads directly to the cross. Jesus challenged his followers to deny themselves and take up their cross, and this meant risking Roman capital punishment. It meant being willing to accept hardship and loss, humiliation and imprisonment, even death, in order to proclaim a vision of a better world, a divine kingdom, to work for it. Are we prepared for this? Now the writer put it this way. We can feel sad for the poor and send money to the sick. We can worry for the homeless and the countryless. We can even tweet our support for social programs and race relations. But at some point, we have to stand against the front gate parade without the benefit of sword or armor. We are called to be disciples, standing for what Jesus stands for, welcoming the stranger, healing the sick, making people whole again, even those we don't like, even the ones who scare us. This is shalom. This is peace. And the only path is through the back gate to the cross. Two processions with one entrance in the east and another from the west. Two symbolic journeys into Jerusalem, a stallion or a donkey. Which will we choose? There are times, let's be honest, when it would be nice to just wave a palm branch, sing Hosanna and go home. The actual invitation of Palm Sunday is far more serious. Jesus repeatedly predicted the passion, but even his disciples failed to grasp the gravity of these predictions. Instead, they argued among themselves about the potential for greatness and glory. Who's going to sit in the best seat? Let's not miss this. As disciples today, are we ready to go to the cross too? Are we ready to lay down our desires for earthly greatness, power, prestige, and control? Are we ready to live in the kingdom of heaven, where the most glorious God chose to come in human flesh to stare these earthly powers down and to proclaim that there is another way to live, another way to be in the world that is marked by sacrifice, humility, service, peace, love? This is our invitation. The only gospel that specifies palms as the greenery of the triumphal entry is the book of John. 
We don't know exactly what type of branches were waved on that significant day. But we do know that in the ancient world, palms symbolized victory. Jesus was led to the cross, and we enter Holy Week knowing that the horror of Good Friday is near. But the palms of victory of the kingdom of heaven wave for all eternity. In the name of the Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Now let us pause to offer our gifts and to share in the joy of what it means to be part of the ministry of Mayflower Church. Thank you for your generosity.
And now let us turn to our Lenten liturgy. Over the past weeks, we've had candles on our altar, one for each Sunday and Lent, and one for Good Friday. And as we progress through Lent, we have been extinguishing a candle. Only one burns, one to be extinguished on Good Friday. We are entering a holy time as the candles slowly fade and darkness deepens. We are symbolically retelling the story of Jesus' betrayal and suffering and death. We are also using the Stations of the Cross in our Lenten liturgy this year. The Stations are representations of the path Jesus bore on his way to the crucifixion. They involve Jesus enduring suffering as well as moments of support. And they relay the intense sacrifice that we, as Christians, believe Jesus undertook for the salvation of humanity. We now proceed to our sixth station of the cross. Jesus encounters the weeping women. The sixth station, Jesus consoles the women. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy Holy cross cross, you have have redeemed redeemed the world. world. Jesus, we remember part of a sermon you gave. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You ask us to follow you, to comfort our children when things go wrong, to be there for them when they get hurt or fail a test or do not get invited to the party they wanted to attend. Jesus, you showed us how to comfort each other when suffering comes our way. Jesus, you teach us through our parents. You want us to learn how to follow you every day by following the examples they set for us. Help us learn from them to follow you and to reach out to my friends, neighbors, and family members when things go wrong for them. Let us pray. Jesus, keep our hearts ready and our minds open to console anyone who is suffering. Help us grow in compassion for those in pain of any kind. Help us care for those in need.
Let us pray. Oh God, you filled the man Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and made him Christ incarnate, holy God and holy human. Through him you reiterated your message of peace, love, and forgiveness. The people celebrated his arrival in Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna and marveled at his compassion. He preached the message of the prophets of old, telling us to give instead of receive, to worship in spirit and truth, to be born again in the everlasting arms, and to celebrate the Eucharist in the eternal presence of the Christ. He broke from traditions and bureaucratic rules, and he spoke power. He spoke power with truth to the powers that be. We celebrate his life and his entry into Jerusalem. But challenging norms brings its consequences. Powerful, powerful people resent the truth at times if it lies outside their perspective. Thus, Holy Week begins in triumph and ends in suffering. O Lord, let us see Jesus' suffering in the plight of the weak and poor in our community and in the world. Especially, we ask you to bless and be with the victims of the gun violence in Atlanta and Boulder. We ask that your peaceful presence permeate Myanmar and let the slaughter stop. We have neither, neither seen you nor the historical Jesus, but we have experienced the presence of the Christ when we serve those less fortunate than us, when we volunteer to assist others, when we clothe those in need and feed those who are hungry, we feel the power of Christ when we tend the sick and comfort those who mourn. We experience your loving presence as we try, strive to expand Christian outreach. We beg you to continue to empower us to help the weak, the poor, and the alien in our land. As we look at the cross, we acknowledge that you have blessed our country with wealth and power. Guide us so that we share these attributes with the world. Empower us to be the people we claim to be, Christians. In the power of the cross, let us go through this holy week remembering that you are the crucified God who gave up life for your creation. We ask your blessing on our lives and on this church, in our daily activities, in the love of friends and family. We pray that you bring comfort when we mourn and healing when we are sick. 
We ask that you bless and guide our search committee so that they bring us the pastor you have already called to this church. And we ask always to seek your presence, leaning on the everlasting arms until we are embraced by those metaphorical arms in eternal rest. O Lord, hear our prayer. And now hear us as we pray before the cross. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we proceed into Holy Week, we witness Jesus' triumphal entry turn into his journey to the cross. The shouts of blessed is the king become cries of crucify him. Standing against the powers of this world is a sure way to get killed. The disciples may not have predicted the outcome of this week to be the cross, but Jesus did. As Jesus approached the city, sitting on that donkey, listening to the adulation, he knew the crowd did not understand what kind of king he is. And he knew the fragile relationship they kept with Rome would ultimately crush them all. But he entered Jerusalem. He faced the ultimate opposition. And he sacrificed himself for peace. It is not Easter yet. And this week we enter into the reality of Christ's suffering and death. I want to offer a Franciscan blessing for these days ahead. May God bless us with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger. Anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of people 
so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears. Tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war. May we reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless us with foolishness. Enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen.